So now we've crossed into October, and we welcome the cooler days and the turning leaves, the days growing shorter. And though I personally don't get quite as excited about pumpkin spice things, I do relish this time of year, which, as one Twitter observer said, October, November, and December are the LMNOP of the year. I love this time of year because the stories we tell tend to become a bit more haunted and haunting as All Hallows Eve or Halloween and All Saints Day loom in the weeks ahead. A perfect time of year, then, for one of Jesus' more haunting parables, the parable of the wicked tenants. Now, this is an in-house conversation that Jesus has with, oh, let's say, uh, professional religious types, ministers, um, priests, deacons, bishops, and uh, let's add denominational officials into that mix. He sits them down, if you will, and, and he doesn't preach from a mountainside or on a plane or from a boat. He, he sits just with them, like he gathers them in a circle and just tells them this parable just for their ears. But since there are hard sayings in this parable, and this is one of the toughies, Jesus seems kind of mean in this parable. In fact, he seems kind of mean across these several chapters of Matthew. But let's just take the edge off and pretend that Jesus has gathered these ministers around him with a campfire in the middle, and they're sitting on logs in a circle, and Jesus takes a flashlight, late at night, the glow of the fire is lighting their faces, and he lights his own face up with the flashlight and begins, it was a dark and stormy night. There was a landowner who planted a beautiful vineyard. And in the midst of the vineyard, he put a wine press and he fenced it in and he set up a watchtower and he leased it to tenants and he went on his way. Well, then it came time for him to send in his slaves to gather the produce of the harvest. And when he sent his slaves, the tenants attacked the slaves and they beat one, and they killed another, and they stoned another. And then a squirrel ruffles some leaves in the woods, and one of the priests squirms on his log. Again, Jesus continues, he sent more slaves yet, and the tenants did the same to them, beat one, killed another, and stoned yet another. And finally, finally, he sent his own son, reasoning that the tenants would recognize him as his heir and respect him. And lo and behold, do you know what happened? And then, and then, they took his son, they threw him over the fence, 
and they killed him. Lightning strike, cue the thunder, one of the bishops yelps. Now, what do you think this landowner is going to do to these tenants when he returns? And the ministers say, almost in unison, he's going to put those wretches to a miserable death. But Jesus says, huh, haven't you fellows read the Bible? Don't you remember the psalm that says, the stone that was rejected has now become the chief cornerstone? And then he adds, Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you. Can you see it? He just pokes them right in the eyes. The kingdom of God will be taken away from you, who, who, to whom it has been given to produce the fruits of the kingdom. And then all of the ministers and the bishops and the priests gasp, and they hold on to one another. The parable may remind us of another time in the scriptures where a prophet does a bait and switch. You may remember the time that the prophet Nathan tricked David into indicting himself. Nathan tells David this story about a rich man who had flocks of sheep, but he stole the one little ewe from a poor man to serve for a feast. And David is outraged that someone would do such a thing. And he says, this man deserves to die. And Nathan says, you are the man. Whew. Not that long ago, a similar thing happened to a group of more moderate and liberal Baptists, though these categories seem to make less and less sense. It was July 21st, 1995. And what was then called the William Whitsett Heritage Society made what they thought was a really smart decision to invite the bootleg Baptist preacher, Will Davis Campbell, to speak to their annual gathering. Now, if I were of that generation of preachers, likely I would have been in attendance. Happily, I was born too late for this event. Campbell softens them up with his clever wit and what I call all shucksisms. But it doesn't take long for him to unleash a diatribe. If Jesus had been a moderate, he said, Jesus would have never been crucified. He'd have cut a deal with Pilate. Then he starts quoting Kierkegaard, who once observed that God may take Christianity away as the one way of convincing people of its truth. And those were the nicer parts of Campbell's speech. He said what's happening to Baptists at that time reminded him of when he used to get in fights with his little brother about, about the pulley bone on the chicken. Uh, I would call today the pulley bone the wishbone, but he calls it a pulley bone anyway. Uh, one Sunday dinner, he and his brother begin to fight about the pulley bone. They leave it on the table and they start to scrap in the living room. And meanwhile, their household cat jumped up on the table and ran off with the pulley bone. The kingdom of God, I'm just going to give it to someone else who will produce fruit if you're not. The parable of the wicked tenants is one of the parables we have to wrestle with before it gives up the good news. In the plain sense, there seems to be more bad news about this, doesn't it? 
Those entrusted with producing fruit for the kingdom of God are more interested in, in protecting their own turf or saving their own lives than lending their ear to the prophets. And God finally just takes it away from them. Bad news. Now I'm reminded of what the great preacher Peter Story said recently in an interview. Story is formerly a Methodist bishop of South Africa and Southern Africa. He was a chaplain to Nelson Mandela when Mandela was imprisoned during apartheid. And he was cooped up with other dissidents on Robben Island. Now, other than Desmond Tutu, Peter's story is, I would argue, the most influential minister during the time of apartheid and probably since. And in the interview, he says, My own belief is that apartheid would have ended 10 years earlier if it wasn't for cowards in the pulpit. It's made me wonder, what will be different in 2030? Because preachers of our time had courage in the pulpit. In a very haunting way, I believe there is very good news to be found in this parable because the assumption of the parable and the assumption of Will Campbell and the assumption of, of Peter's story is that when the church is faithful, it saves lives. Where were the Baptists, Campbell asks? Where were the Baptists? when it was decided that slavery was justified? Where were the Baptists when women couldn't serve as deacons or pastors? Where were the Baptists when conscientious objectors risked their lives? Where were the Baptists when the outcasts and the poor were being abandoned? Did we ever pass resolutions for those arrested in the streets for standing up for the things that Baptists supposedly believe in? And where were the courageous preachers, Story might have said, when everybody was in church and somehow yet the whole country was divided into black and into white? The church, the parable teaches us, saves lives. And I don't mean just in the traditional Baptist sense of thinking about invitations and joining the church and getting saved and so on. All of that's good. But what I believe the Word of God may be revealing to us today is that the integrity of our faithfulness is a matter of life and death for our neighbors and for us. This too is what it means to say that salvation comes from the church. Is our, com is our communal life about the very saving of physical lives? Are we hearing the blood crying out from the ground around us? And are we listening to the cries for justice? Now we do these services, prepare beforehand, of course, but as I preach these, these words, in this very hour, members of our church are sharing food with the hungry, saving lives. This is part of what it means to bear this fruit from the vineyard. 
As you engage this service, perhaps on a Sunday, over 150 of our own members and friends will be gathered on this campus sharing communion, the wine that gives life, the physical presence that these opportunities make possible saves lives. We may give thanks for churches across our land, for example, where those uh, of whom Will Campbell spoke not only belong, but lead and serve. We may give thanks for churches across the country right now that are retrofitting rooms so that disadvantaged students in their neighborhoods may come and have an inviting place to learn. We may also give thanks for the churches that get very creative in their approaches to saving lives. I read not long ago of a Dutch church that found a loophole in their nation's immigration laws. Now get this. So in order to protect an immigrant family from being deported back to the country that they escaped to save their lives, this church organized a worship service that would go continuously for 24 hours because the rules stated, the law stated, that authorities could not come into the sanctuary as long as a service was going on. So they kept going. They had a sign-up list, and people kept coming and leading the liturgy, and the service wouldn't end. <laughs> the authorities couldn't come in, and the family was saved. And I want to give thanks to each one of you who thinks broadly about the implications of salvation for saving physical life. I want to give thanks to the ministers and the preachers across the country this year who aren't ducking and covering, but living into the struggle and carrying the mantle that's been laid on our shoulders. And if any of you are listening to me right now, if I'm that lucky, I want you to keep going. I want you to hear me saying as a colleague and a peer, keep going. Stay in the pocket, friends, and don't get afraid when you hear the footsteps getting closer. And do try to avoid sports analogies. If you're hearing my words and you know a preacher who's struggling right now for whatever reason, I want you to send them this service. And if you don't send them this service, I want you to call them up or text them and tell them what I said. Encourage them. Be there for them. And I want to give thanks to every one of you for engaging worship and with pure and contrite hearts, continuing to listen for God's word in these very heavy times. There is good news for us there is good news in this haunting parable for when we wrestle with it, when we struggle with it, when we listen closely for God's word, what we hear is that God has entrusted to us a wine press where we can take the fruit that we bear for God's sake and for our neighbor's sake and place it together and press it down so that life rises up, wells up, and we may collect it and pour it and serve it. And you know, even this time of year, the story is not so haunting, is it? The wine press 
not so foreboding when we use it. Amen.